Welcome to New City Church. This is Matt Freeman, and we are so thankful you are studying the Word of God with us. Jesus founded New City after our forever home, the New Jerusalem from Revelation 21. He wrote our mission statement to foster, strengthen, and grow an unashamed bride looking for Jesus' return. Let's lean completely on the anointing of the Holy Spirit to teach us all things from 1 John 2.27. God is so eager to teach you the depth of his word. Enjoy the study. Okay, I hope you all got some food and are well-fed and prepared for the next three hours of, no, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. My, Cody's probably freaking out over there. No, thanks for being here. We are so glad to see all of you and thank you for joining us this morning to celebrate Uh, three years of what God's been doing here at New City Church and with all of our lives as families and just studying the Word of God. It's amazing how you can bond together over something so simple as just the Bible. And it's simple, yet it's probably at the same time the most complex uh, book you'll ever study. Uh, One thing, two things real quick, actually, before I get started. The Anna's House Coat Drive will finish next Sunday. So if you, if you want to donate a coat, please, please bring a coat for that. Uh, Brent will collect all those next Sunday. And then just as a reminder, the New City Worship, the Christmas service is going to be Friday, December 22nd from 6 to 7. So bring your family, come join us for an hour. We're going to have worship. Um, I'll do a, a short message about Christmas, and then we'll all go break and go enjoy time with family for the weekend. Because so we will not have service on we won't have service on Friday or Sunday the 24th. Okay, so three years. I've got just a few slides I wanted to go through. It's not, it's, this is not real lengthy. Um, this will probably be 15, 20 minutes, and then we'll, if anybody wants to share something, you are welcome to. If you don't, that's okay too. There's no pressure. And, but there, there'll be an open mic if you'd like to, and then we'll, we'll pray and break and get out of here. So, you know, when the Lord started this three years ago, he, my whole life growing up and going to church, I, you know, I never really fully understood, I should say, the purpose of the church and the purpose of why did Jesus found the church? What is the church to do? What are we really about as his people, right, in this day and age? And so a couple things the purpose of the global church, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Actually, you know what, before we do that, I forgot to pray. Let's, let's pray real quick, and then we'll get into the scripture. Lord, thank you so much again for this time together. Lord, we do open up in prayer, and we just seek you, Father, to teach us everything. Be with us in this place. Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear exactly what you have to say this morning. And God, give us a sense of urgency to be about your business in the global church. And Lord, we thank you for raising up a remnant right here in Oklahoma City. All it takes is a few few people that are passionately serving you to go change the world. And Lord, we thank you for that opportunity. Please be with us this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. 
And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So notice, notice at the front there, there's a lot of people gathered. They're looking at the Son of God in the flesh, talking with him, and some doubted still. You know, some doubted. Isn't that amazing? You know, I, I don't know. It's hard for me to imagine being with the Son of God in the flesh that created us and yet still having doubt, you know, as you're with him in person. It's hard to imagine, but they did. And you see that so much today, how the global church is just, it is filled with people that truly have doubt. And they, I've got some stats here in a minute that we'll go through, but look what Jesus says. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you occasionally if you do the right things. No, that's not what it says. Always, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. You know, I read some stats too. Over 75% of Christians sitting in churches today are littered with fear have fear, or they're bound by fear in a recent LifeWay research survey, over 75%. And isn't that amazing? Why would you be fearful when you see everything the Bible has proclaimed setting up and us about to go home? And what Jesus says, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And he means that. So you cannot, when you study Biblical prophecy, and you just open up the word of God, fear should never creep into your life because you understand really where we're heading and what the Lord is about and that he will be with you. Okay, Luke 24, 44 through 49. And he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. You know, it's one of those verses that, Jesus in, in Psalms 40, verse seven says, in the volume of the book, it's written of me. And he even, he confirms it so many times in the New Testament that the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms, they all speak of me. The whole Old Testament points to Jesus. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. That, that is something that is so radical and powerful for you as a believer and we, and we hit on it all the time here at church. 1 John 2, 27, who's the teacher? Jesus, the Holy Spirit that anoints you, his spirit is your teacher. But you have to have him, Jesus, open your understanding. You know, so many people that I know, I had a conversation with a Christian just last week. We were talking about some pretty deep things and he did not believe just simply what the Bible said. It was so literal and so physical of what Jesus was saying. And he just, he's like, yeah, that's not, that's not what it says. And it's just amazing to me how people can read the same book and yet have so many different thoughts about it. And the problem is they don't yield their lives and their understanding to the teacher who Hold on. Oh, we're back. Does this work? 
All right, this works. All right. Nope. All right, we'll go with this. Okay, but it's just amazing to me how many people, I mean, they just, there's so many different interpretations and, and things, but if you take it all to the source, which is Jesus and the Holy Spirit, there really is only one. And there's a lot of different ways to view it, but in any case, he's the teacher. And said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endowed with power from on high. So they had a purpose, right? They were to go and preach and spread the gospel and teach people and open up the word of God, but they needed to stay in Jerusalem until they were endowed with power from upon high. And that's exactly what happened. You know, a lot of times we in our lives as Christians, we have a tendency where, okay, God's telling us to do this. Go right now and go do it. And a lot of times he may be saying, I need you to go do this, but I need you to do it when I tell you to go do it. And he's preparing you for something. And he'll be preparing you in that quiet place maybe for years and years before something happens. But if he tells you to stay, you stay. Then you go. Okay, there's a, it's very important. The children of Israel, God told them, you're not going to inherit the land now. And what they do? They all, they all went anyway. Remember, they charged over, and they got slaughtered in wars and ran back because they didn't listen to the Lord. Okay, so Jesus prepares to start the church with that command to his disciples, and the follow-through is in Acts after the church is formed, Acts 14, 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Okay, so they, they then went and taught. The word disciple, you know, how many of you heard the scripture, right? Go forth and make disciples. And a lot of times you don't really understand what the word disciple means. It simply means to learn. Go forth and to make learners. Make people that are learners, constantly learning in the word of God. So we're to go forth and teach people to be learners of Jesus, and I hope if you get nothing out else out of New City Church when you are here on Sundays, I hope the one thing you get is a sense of urgency to open up the Bible for yourself, to have a personal relationship with your Savior, and go out and teach others the same. And go and, and teach them how to study the Bible, to get into it, to give them a sense of urgency to be about it. You know, so how do you study God's Word? Well, you lean on Him, and you just it's simple. You open it up. Just got to open it can't study it when it's closed. You know, how do you help teach others and point them to the deep study of God's word if you're not actively growing yourself? You, know, you can't. If you're stagnant, you can't go and make disciples. And so you've got to be in God's word. We had a family that came here last week for the first time, and they're going around and touring and visiting all of these churches. I think they said we were the 101st church they came and visited and afterwards, I talked to them for a little bit, and I thought what the man told me was incredible. I just would share with all of you. It, I think it was the highest compliment anyone has ever given me in the three years we've been doing this. He said, you know, I will tell you, Matt, every single person in that room has their own walk with God, and it's evident. And they're not following a pastor. They're following their Savior, and they all are 
are going through this process and studying the Word of God and becoming disciples and learners on their own and doing that and growing. And I think I've said that a few times that, you know, my goal for you is not to be dependent on a pastor or an individual, uh, but to get up here and share with you what God shows me. And, and my hope and my prayer is that it then ignites in your life the urgency to go do the same and to, and to grow in the word of God yourself. Because it's simply transformational and there's no substitute. There's no substitute for the word of God. If you build your entire life on the word of God, there is nothing better you can do. Simple. It's just that simple. Acts 12, 24. But the word of God grew and multiplied. And I love that because, you know, what grew and multiplied? It wasn't people. It wasn't, you know, a lot of things that the world views as growth and success. It was the word of God. It's just that simple. The word of God grew and multiplied. You know, when you give people the word, sometimes for the first time in their lives, when they get to a deep study of the Bible, it will ignite in you, in your spirit, something that you didn't even know was there, really. And then you set out on this journey, and your life is just never the same. I think I showed this slide last year, but you know, this was a this was a poem. My wife's uh, family is just have it has a long history of godly people, and this is uh, Ethel Ethel Osborne. When she passed away, she wrote a poem. And her kids didn't find it in her attic until long after she had passed. They found this poem. But Ethel led a Bible study. And this is the book that a lot of ladies in her Bible study gave her uh, to Ethel Osborne. You can see it there. December of 1969 from the Bible study groups uh, group. Appreciation for your years of service. And then they all signed the book and gave this to her. I was, it was before we started the church, I was sitting in Dallas, and my sister-in-law had this book from Ethel on her coffee table, and I've always wanted a copy of Haley's Bible Handbook, and, and we were praying about that. This was like summer of 2020. We were praying about the church. We were praying about, we had all felt like God was calling us to do this. We weren't sure how it would work at all, and you know, my prayer and what I had really been passionate about was just studying the Bible just going deeply into the Word of God and studying it. And I, and I picked up this book, and I opened it up, and if you can see on the slide there, it says on the, on the right side, the most important page of this, in this book is 814. And so naturally I turned to page 814. And <laughs> let me read this to you guys. The most important thing in this book is this simple suggestion that each church have a congregational plan of Bible reading and that the pastor's sermon be from the part of the Bible read the past week, thus connecting the pastor's preacher preaching with the people's Bible reading. This suggestion, if followed, would beyond any doubt whatsoever produce a revitalized church. Now, this was written long before 1969. And here this guy is talking about the need for a revitalized church. Isn't that incredible? I mean, a lot of you probably... I mean, I, I thought of the church as being revitalized in the 60s and 70s and 40s and 50s. A revitalized church <clears throat> provided the pastor himself thoroughly believes in the Bible as God's word and puts his heart into the effort. 
The church and the Bible go together. The church exists to proclaim and exalt the Christ of the Bible and for nothing else. A church that does not enthrone the Bible in the lives of its people is false to its mission. The Bible is not just a sort of text or pretext or book for preachers and teachers. It is a book for the people, all the people, and preachers and teachers who build on any other foundation must not be surprised if their work in the end proves to be very superficial. With all of our facilities and, and propagating Christian truth, our well-organized churches and Bible schools, our seminars, seminaries, our highly trained ministers and church leaders, and the last word in up-to-date religious education methods, an endless amount of Christian literature, and an ever-increasing number of meetings and organizations where we talk and teach and preach in the name of the Bible, even quoting chapter and verse, yet the great body of our church members treat the Bible as if it were a mere side issue in their lives. Isn't that fascinating? They are willing, provided enough promotional pressure is put on them to listen to preachers and leaders talk of Bible things, but as for reading it themselves, only a few do it. Of a hundred average church members, perhaps one may even know the name of the Bible books or even have an idea, any idea of what each book is about. Probably more than three-fourths of our American Protestant church members could not offhand tell where to find the Sermon on the Mount or the Ten Commandments. And on top of this ignorance of the Bible and indifference to it and neglect of it, they have no great sense of loyalty to the church or conscience about it. On an average, less than one-third or one-fourth of a congregate's, congregation's enrolled professed members attend its Sunday services with any degree of regularity. What a fearful indictment of prevailing techniques of doing church work is not something sadly lacking in methods that are producing churches that are so largely of the Laodicean type, indifferent, half-hearted, lukewarm, disloyal, and worldly-minded, or the Sardis type, in which there are only a few who have not defiled their garments. I marvel that church people are so indifferent to and neglectful of the book that tells them about their Savior, but I marvel more that church leaders are doing so little about it. Boy, that is, that's heavy. Unquestionably, the most fatal weakness of the present-day church is the lack of leadership in the pulpit. On this one point of guiding and leading its people into the one habit that is the source and basis of everything that the church exists to accomplish in its people. And it goes on from there. Um, you know, Haley wrote that, this was in the 1800s he wrote that. I mean, isn't that incredible? That Now, according to, I've shared some of these stats before, but according to LifeWay Research, uh, two out of three kids leave the church by the time they leave college. Two out of three. So if you've got, if you're in here with three kids, two of them statistically will leave church before they graduate from college. That's, that is a scathing indictment on the church as a whole in that we need leadership to get kids into the word of God to know their savior personally that it is not their walk of just following mom and dad's God. It's, they need a walk with the king. Each one of us does. Um, you know, only churches in the U.S., 
60, well, 70%. 70% of all churches in the U.S. are less than 100 people. You know, and we think of, of church today as these huge gatherings, and it's like an airport when you walk in, and there's signs everywhere, and, you know, you can have, you know, thousands of people, and that's, that's honestly, that's abnormal. Uh, the global church is even less than that. I think something around 90% of churches globally are less than 40 people, you know, in membership, if people actually come to it. Uh, the church always has been, and, and frankly, probably always will be, a small remnant gathering of God's people that just want to go change the world. That's what the church is about. It's always been Jesus had a small group of people. Remember, he always had the multitudes, the 70, the 12, and even within the 12, there were Peter, James, and John that were kind of an inside group that were kind of there with him at all the major events. But 70%, that's, that's pretty incredible. Bible reading. How often do U.S. Protestant churchgoers read the Bible? Less than a third do it daily. Of those, 27% are a few times a week, 12% weekly, 11% a few times a month, 5% monthly, and then 12% rarely or never. Uh, pastors, you know, less than 2% of churches teach anything to do with Bible prophecy. Less than 2%. So if you're, if you're here, you are, you are weird. <laughs> okay. If you're here, the fact that I'm standing up here doing that, I'm weird. I'm maybe the weirdest guy in the country that thinks the Bible is inherent and actually will tell us everything we need to know in advance. What a weird belief, you know. But they, but they stay away from it because of at the beginning, they don't lean on the Lord to open their understanding of it. And nothing thins out a church quicker than studying Bible prophecy. I'm telling you, there, people don't want to get into it. Um, but if they get over that hurdle and get a taste of it, they won't want anything different. You know, so we must all must, we, we have to have a deep desire to learn and build our faith. And Hebrews 11.1, 1, the Lord actually to kind of named this the Trinity of faith. What is faith? It's the substance of all things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's what faith is, according to Hebrews 11.1. 1. I promise you, if you go and survey a thousand church-going Christians, they will give you a thousand different answers on what is faith. Even the world uses that phrase, right? Well, you just got to have faith. I mean, I remember I, I have people in secular days in business that use that all the time. We just got to have faith. We're gonna, and I've, I've even asked them, what do you guys mean by that? What do you mean by have faith in what exactly? You know, your, your beautiful writing in this proposal or, or execution in this project, you know, what do you mean? It's, it opens up some interesting conversations. But why is faith important? Hebrews eleven six. where for without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's impossible. You know, so you as a Christian, back to what Haley wrote in this book years ago, it is the one and only most single important thing you can do in your life as a Holy Spirit-filled believer, is to study your Bible. It's the, everything else flows out of that, and your life will never be the same. And how do you get it? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. Now, this was a prayer that I wrote in college in January 20, on January 29th of 2002. You know, God 
God is faithful, and he's a God that answers prayer. And I just want you all to know that. A lot of you in here have been praying for things and looking for things in your life that seemingly don't happen in your time. And you know what? God is outside of time, and he has seen when that's completed and when that comes to fruition. Be patient. Be patient. Patience is a virtue that flows out of your deep, deep relationship with God. Um, it's, never, it's never in our timing. There are things... There are things God is telling me to do right now that up until, for years he's been telling me that up until about the last few months, he didn't even reveal the timing. And so as you get closer to the Lord, I just want to encourage you that there may be times that God calls you to do something so radical that you don't know what, how is this going to work? When am I doing this? But please do not do it until he tells you to. Because you can walk into a landmine that you're not ready for. Uh, so preparation and timing in everything God has for you. Okay, this was a prayer box my grandpa gave me. Uh, but this was a prayer I wrote down. I was so passionate about Bible prophecy. I loved studying it when I was a kid in junior high and high school. But in college, I could not understand Revelation. I, it, it just, I read it and I picked up all kinds of books about it. And... None of them made sense to me. I felt like nobody knew what they were talking about. <laughs> and I wrote down this prayer. I just said, Lord, I pray that your wisdom would flow through me, that your Holy Spirit would dwell within my body. Help me to understand the book of Revelation so that I might tell others. And it was 6,879 days to the day after that prayer that the Lord, we held the first inaugural service at New City. And I had no idea he had that prepared for me. So I just want to encourage all of you in that. You know, we've talked a lot about the anointing to help you understand everything in the Bible. That's the Holy Spirit. And God wrote the, the mission statement of this church to foster, strengthen, and grow an unashamed bride for looking for Jesus' return, for Jesus' return. And that's what we're about as a church. Um, I want all of you to walk out of here every Sunday that you didn't just check the box you didn't just come in and come to church and fellowship and get a great message and go home. I want you to leave here knowing I've got to go home and dig into this myself. And I want you to have that passion, that urgency. It will revolutionize your marriages, your family life, your children, how you raise them. It'll change your extended family relationships. Um, you'll have peace in your life. You'll have contentment. You'll have joy abundantly, and that's what we are about as a church, okay? That's what we are about, because we are going to be, the Lord told me this last year, we're going to be a place of roaring rivers of life, and, and this is when he drew the logo for the church in the summer of 2021, and there were seven elements, and each one tied to a scripture. Um, you know, we're a place that we're going to pour out a lot. This church, we're going to pour out a lot. We support a lot of different ministries. This is not even a partial list. Uh, there's many not on here. Anna's house is one of them that's not on the list, and we're doing that right now. But individuals, what I want you all to know, too, that, is that we support individuals. So if you have a family in need, if you know of someone that's in need, um, I cannot tell you how many times we get phone calls here or somebody finds my number somehow, and we get a phone call with someone just a few months ago that needed help 
with their rent at an apartment, and they were about to get, get kicked out, so we stepped in to help them. Um, they've, they've never come to church, and I'm okay with that. But I just want you all to know that we are a place that meets the needs of the people, and we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus to do that. And by you all partnering with us, it allows us to do that. So thank you. Thank you for that. You know, my challenge question is, uh, as I yield my spot here on the stage, where are you on trusting Jesus? You know, do you have areas in your life that need to be laid down at the throne of grace? Because Jesus wants all of you. He wants to conquer your battles. He wants to be number one on a list of one. He wants to refine you. He wants to strengthen your marriages. He wants to write your finances and be your provider. He wants to write his story on your lives. You know, I don't talk about uh, the Lord. The Lord actually kind of scolded me um, a few weeks ago because I was thinking about uh, doing. I know it's funny, right? I was I was thinking about someone asked me a question about tithing. I don't remember how it came up. Somebody asked me a question about tithing or money or something, and I explained Malachi three and and rebuking the devourer, and, and I explained you know well, I don't talk about tithing hardly ever up here at church. And the reason is because I don't want you to feel pressured at all to give here. And the Lord said, Matt, you're doing, you are not doing them, a, a, you are doing a disservice by not explaining the power of tithing to my people. And so we're going to, I, I respectfully said, yes, Lord, I'm sorry. Um, I will fix that. I promise. So <laughs> There may be a message coming up that I just do a whole message about money in the Bible, and that is not to make anyone give anything here. It's just, but it is the one way to set your life free in your finances, is to give to God. And whether that is here at New City or anywhere else, you have to yield your finances to the Lord. And once you tithe, you literally open up the windows of heaven, and God rebukes the devourer for your sake. It's his promise. That's the only promise in the Bible where God challenges you to challenge him, where he says, test me and see if I will not do this. And, and yet, you know, as a church, globally as a church, um, a lot of Christians think it's just about trying to uh, pay, you know, a pastor's salary or whatever it's about. It's not about that. It's about opening up your life to the Lord. Okay, so we'll do that sometime. Uh, be watchful. You know, that's what we're about. I want you guys all to be, to be watchful. So when you see the headlines, you can see what's going on and, and how it ties into the Bible.